I sound a lot worse than I look, and I look really bad. So, you know, the, some laughter, and a couple people were like, oh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it hit me too last week, man. I, I was down with the flu, but I'm, I'm better now, and just waiting for the rest, rest of me to get better. So, um, hopefully this isn't too painful for you to listen to. But um, we are in a series called Light Up the Dark. Say, Light Up the Dark. Light up the dark, and if I make this sermon really, really quick, you know that I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> but right now I'm not in pain, so that's cool. We're taking the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the first 14 verses of that chapter. And we're unpacking these verses week by week with John's announcement of Jesus. See, the birth of Jesus is talked about in every book um, of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The birth of Jesus, that there's great detail in each one of these things, but only John gives this kind of announcement. And he starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And these first verses kicked us off a couple of weeks ago. Christ was in the beginning. So in the very beginning, Christ was there. Christmas begins in Genesis because Christ was at the beginning. This light, this Jesus being there from the beginning is very hopeful. And I won't re-preach that sermon. You can go back and listen to it if you missed it. Verses 3, 4, and 5, Pastor Bo preached last week. All things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. What was the light? His life. The life of Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And we have peace from God because darkness doesn't win. We're not sick forever. The sun comes up. It's not always dark. A little bit of light pierces through darkness. And we can have everlasting peace through Jesus because his light is actually imprinted on our very hearts. Try as we might, the darkness, try as it might, the darkness can't overcome the light. And then today's text, we're taking verses 6, 7, 8, 9. There was a man sent from God. You heard this earlier in the reading. There was a man sent from God. What was his name? John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. John, he himself was not the light, but he came to testify, to tell about, to give evidence to the light, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. We have here the introduction of a guy named John who is the cousin of Jesus. And you might have heard of him before. His name is John the Baptist. He uh, is the originator of many of the churches in town. And John preceded Jesus. Some of you are like, is that true? And you're like Googling. Go ahead and Google. Um, John preceded Jesus. And the Bible is very clear. He was not the light. Why would the Bible be very clear that John was not the light? Well, obviously people thought he was. 
And it had to be clarified, he was not the light. But what we have here in these 14 verses is we have this introduction of a Logos word, the word of Christ. We have this introduction of Jesus. And then we have this interruption. Verses one through five have this poetic Genesis feel to it. And then there's an interruption. I hate being interrupted. Does anybody actually enjoy being interrupted? Can I see your hand? Not one hand. Usually there's at least some sarcastic rebel that's like, yes, but not today. Not on interruptions. Why? Because interruptions are very, very annoying. They're very rude. Um, if, if I was to make an attempt to um, bring the, the interruption from that day of scripture into the current day of, of 2023, actually uh, 2009, the closest... The closest thing I could find that was, that was like, I think just universally shared was 2009. It would be this picture of the 2009 um, awards, MTV Movie Review. And I know this is an old picture. And uh, Kanye would be John the Baptist as much as he wants to be Jesus. Listen, this works. Kanye would be John the Baptist. And Taylor Swift is Jesus. All right, go ahead and isolate that. Use that again. She, okay, this is a terrible example. Take that off. That, that did not work at all. You liked it? Uh, You're the only one. This interruption that happens. See, God commissioned John to write this. He commissioned John to, and John who wrote this is not the same as John the Baptist, who is being talked about. John who wrote this, the apostle John, the evangelist, starts these verses and then gets to this interruption. And this interruption is not an interruption based off of rudeness or just waiting for you to finish talking so I can talk now. This interruption is based on being a part of the story. It's really important that this interruption is here because a lot of us feel interrupted in life all the time. We feel like things are going a certain way and then it's a diagnosis or it's a sickness or it's a person or it's a relationship or I was supposed to get that award and I didn't or it's a feeling. And these interruptions happen and God's supreme purpose here in John is that this proclamation is happening and this testimony interrupts the proclamation. It's like proclamation's happening Interruption, more proclamation. And there's, there's a beautiful picture here that even in the interruptions that are happening throughout life, God brings purpose to them. He brings hope and peace and joy in the middle of the interruptions. He will bring good news in the interruptions. There's joy in knowing that. See, there's this rule preaching. There's this rule in studying scripture. And if you've not happened upon this yet, let me, let, me, let me encourage you with this. If you like studying scripture, if you really enjoy getting into the Bible and, 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 and listening to, to preachers or teachers and those kind of things, there's, there's a rule that comes with studying and preaching scripture. And it goes something like this. We can't build a belief or a faith or a truth or a doctrine about God using just one scripture in the Bible. 
you, you can't develop a thought or a feeling or, a, or, 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 or something that is universally true. You can't bring interpretation from Scripture by just using one verse because the text of Scripture proves itself throughout Scripture. What do I mean by that? We, well, I mean that if it is true in this one place in Scripture, if you're going to build a belief around it, it also must be true in other places in Scripture. There must be multiple points of scriptural evidence to support that belief, to support that interpretation. If, if, if we don't employ this kind of rule, we get some really wacky things. We get, you ever heard anybody say, well, I can use the Bible to prove just about anything? We get that. Because just like we can use the testimony or the words of someone out of context, to prove anything, we can do the same with Scripture. And so we must take Scripture very seriously. And the reason I bring this up is because without this rule, when it comes to interpreting Scripture, we get really crazy things. And, and in this particular reading of Scripture, John the Baptist, Christ being with us, we have support in this particular Scripture all throughout the Bible. We have over 60 references to John the Baptist's testimony in Scripture. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you've read Scripture, do you, do you believe that John the Baptist was telling the truth? We have 100, at least 117 prophecies and references to the birth of Christ being Messiah, God with us in Scripture. And we have over 1,800 references in the whole Bible that speak about the return or the second coming of Christ. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because John is making this proclamation and this testimony and all this fanfare here in the first chapter is talking about the babe that is coming, the Christ, the Logos, the Word, all that stuff. We have, we have all this evidence from, from all of Scripture but when it comes to the return of Christ, there are over 1,800 references. See, John's role was to bring testimony, to bring evidence to the light, the illumination, the discovery, the revealing of Jesus. And in a world of chaos and mess and confusion, we need light. We need light. We need good news. We need, we need the great joy to be revealed because we're really running low on joy in our world. We're running really high on cynicism. We're running really high on complaining. We're running really high on pointing fingers at each other. And all Christians, all preachers, all churches... We're all to be like John the Baptist. Remember what he said, I am not the light. Preacher of the gospel, I'm here to tell you, I am not the light. You are not the light. This church is not the light. That church is not the light. That preacher is not the light. No, we, we are not the light. Jesus is the light. Listen to my testimony. I am not the light. If you look at me, you will not see the light fully. You'll see the light through me because he lives in me, but you'll also see some darkness that he's working on. 
You'll also see where, where the spirit has yet to mature me. My wife says, amen. My kids say, you betcha. If you look at me, you'll see the imperfections. If you look at the church of Jesus, you'll see hurt. You'll see things that are not yet what they should be. Gang, the church is not the light. And that doesn't mean that we should give up and that we should not strive to be like the light. That doesn't mean that we should just, you know, say, um, forget everything. It doesn't mean that we don't pay attention and grow. What it does mean is that we are very sure of who is the light. And we are pointing to him. And we're not mixing that up because when we mix that up, something goes really, really wrong. No, 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 no. Don't let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about him. John comes and he interrupts the scene here in the story with only more of the same story. One of my favorite Christmas time testimonies in the telling of the good news comes from Luke chapter two. It says it this way. And the angel said unto them, who the shepherds, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great what? Joy, which shall be for who? All people. Now in the, in the, in the, in the language that, that was written, all people meant everybody. Not just the people that were there. Everybody. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Notice where the joy is mentioned in the telling of Jesus. Notice who the joy belongs to. Who does the joy belong to in, in, in that story? It belongs to the people who hear. Good tidings, great joy for all who hear, for all the people. Those who hear good news respond in joy. And I think the reason many of us find little passion and excitement about the good news of Jesus Christ is because, honestly, we're not too good about facing the reality of our condition without him. We're, 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 we're really good at finding the bright side of life or looking at ourselves in a more positive light than we really are. Or we've allowed the good news of Jesus to become commonplace and old news rather than good news. We've allowed other news in our life to really take more precedent than his news. Do you know what the number one killer of joy is? You know what the number one thing that will absolutely zap your joy is self-focus when you're just focused on yourself. Now listen to me. I'm, I'm all about going and, and going on vacation and having a good time. I'm all about treat yourself, you know. I'm obviously, I, I, you know, I, I, I am all for like enjoying life. I'm not talking about treat yourself. I'm talking about a constant focus on yourself. That is the number one thing that'll kill your joy. We see it a lot in kids. Adults, we like to pick on kids a lot because, you know, they're young, they're, 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 they don't know any better. They're kids, they're immature. And like as if some, like, like, like by magic, like you turned 50 and you became mature. No, you didn't. We got a lot of 12-year-old, 50-year-olds walking around here, okay? It's, or 60 or 70, you know, whatever. Like 
Some of us never got out of middle school emotionally. <laughs> you ever hear kids say things like this? Well, I went, how was school today? It was terrible. Everybody was mean to me. How's, how's this? How was this? I just don't fit in. I have no friends. I can't do this. I can't do that. Nobody pays attention to me. How many of you, you come home from work and you're asked, how was work today? Oh, it was terrible. I don't fit in. <laughs> it's the same story. Like we focus on ourselves, and we focus on ourselves, and, and you know what? Even the bullies, especially the bullies focus on themselves. You know who the bullies are. They're the ones who hurt other people. Hurting other people makes the bullies feel better about themselves. How twisted is that? Extreme self-focus. There's an American journalist by the name of Gene Fowler, and he says this. He said, men are not against you. They are merely for themselves. You know, a lot of the times we think that people are against us or people are just out to get us or people are just, and, and granted, sometimes people are cruel and mean and all that. But a lot of times we're so focused on ourselves that we interpret every little action from other people as being against us. You know what? People are going to do what they're going to do. They're mostly indifferent towards me and they're mostly indifferent towards you. They're, they're, people aren't naturally going to sacrifice or contribute anything that might take their time, energy, their best ideas and give, give it away for some kind of common collective good. They're just not going to do it. Why? Well, because they're self-driven. It's not that they're against the rest of society or you. They're just really for themselves. See, this kind of selfishness it isolates us from God and from others. This kind of selfishness, thinking about myself constantly, worried about myself, what it does is it, it, it brings me to more loneliness. I'm, I'm more isolated. We lose joy when we are so focused on ourselves. When I meet with couples or I meet with um, just different people, they talk about being lonely. And it's real. They talk about, you know, especially like folks who used to have a house full of people. And now there's not many people when the sadness kind of breaks in, one of the things I always say to them is, hey, um, go put yourself in the middle of people and serve them. Um, go help out the team at the community table. Go do something that serves. Because in serving and in being around others, it actually helps us. I said for years to our, our ministries, hey, going on mission trips to other parts of the world we think that we're going to do some kind of great thing and give of ourselves, and I hope that happens. But everybody who sacrifices and goes on one of those trips or volunteers like a lot of time and, and effort and energy and blood, sweat, and tears, what ends up happening is they are ministered to more. It has such an impact on them. And there's a lesson we teach our children when they're toddlers, we say things like, sweetheart, you're not the center of the universe. There are other people in this family. There are other responsibilities, and sometimes you can't have what you want. And sometimes you say to your little sweet, precious toddler, 
No, the entire universe does not revolve around you, sweetie. And if your child is so little and so innocent and so beautiful, and you're like, there is no way I would ever say that to my little darling. Let me tell you firmly and surely that original sin exists, that little bundle of joy. Just wait a month. Wait until they learn the word no or mine. Go watch the kids in the nursery for five minutes. Don't be creepy about it. But they bite each other. They hit each other. They think that that toy that, that they found at church really belongs to them. See, here's the challenge. Loving parents teach their children not everything revolves around you. The challenge is we have 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50, 60-year-olds who are still self-absorbed. And, and, and we think everything still revolves around us. And we end up misleading ourselves and devastating our relationships when we fall in that trap. Selfishness, self-focus ultimately devastates families. Communities can't thrive with self-focus. Our friendships and our marriages will be devastated by that kind of self-focus. One Christian psychologist says this, the philosophy of me first has the power to blow our world to pieces, whether it's applied to marriage, business, or international politics. There is so much power that is destructive in self-focus. Let me point you back to chapter one. The focus is on the word. And even when the interruption comes in, the focus is still back on the word, on the Logos, on Jesus, on Christ, on Messiah, on God who is with us. And this brings us not self-focus, but worship focus. John comes into the story not to talk about himself, but to remind, first of all, I'm not the light. I'm here only to point to this guy, Jesus, again. Can I tell you something? Joy that constantly is pointing to Jesus. Joy is found when we are constantly pointing to Jesus, not when we're constantly pointing to ourselves. Excitement and worship. Some of you grew up in Pentecostal churches and you're like, why can't I just get excited and worship anymore? Why can't I feel something? Why can't I this? Why can't I this? Why can't I worship and excitement comes from sharing that testimony, that good news. Is it too dull in here for you? There's a reason. The reason is that we're missing out on the proclamation ministry of the good news. See, I've heard this my entire life, and I think it's such a terrible thing to say. I think it's a terrible illustration. It's a failed illustration. I've heard people say, church should be like a sporting event where we're all cheering and we should throw Gatorade on the pastor. I hate that part. (laughs) But we should be cheering and we should paint our faces and we should be maniacs and we should should be like a sporting... All right, hold on, hold on a minute. I know that every metaphor and every analogy breaks down, but this one breaks down immediate for me and here's why. Let's play this out. Think about the last sporting event that you participated in. For me, I was on the couch watching and I fell asleep during it and there was food (laughs) 
What about in person? Were you shouting? Yeah, sure, I was shouting. I attend in-person sporting events a few times a year. I love going up to Chapel Hill and taking my son to a Carolina game when I can. I love going a few times a year, but it's expensive. I have to pay for parking, season tickets. Those of you that have ever bought season tickets, you know how excited you are on the front end. And then like you're like, there's another game I've got to go to. No, 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 no. Church should not be a spectator sport. Church should not be a once in every while kind of thing that I attend. It should not be this thing where I have to be comfortable in my home and in my recliner in order to participate. No, no, no. Church should be the most interrupting team on the planet, boldly proclaiming wherever we are that we are not the light, but Jesus is the light. Now, don't get me wrong. I love excitement of games, and I understand the sentiment behind church should be like your favorite sporting event. I understand it. But there's also some shame attached to that, like, why aren't you as excited about Jesus as you are that winning team? Okay, I, I, get, I get that. But church is not some participation event where we just sit in the stands and watch. If anything, the church of Jesus, we are invited to be his disciples. Mixed up in the strategy of pushing back the gates of hell on earth. That's what the church does. Jesus says the church, his church, will push back the gates of hell and they will not prevail. That's what the church does. You can't push back the gates of hell by sitting in your stadium seat. You can't push back the gates of hell from your recliner. You you can't be the church when you are just watching the church. Jesus is authentic enough and big enough to take this life of ours and hold our celebration and our suffering at the same time. How can we scream and cry and laugh and joke around at Christmas when there is so much hurt and so much pain all over the world? Because we know what Advent is. It is this preparation. It is this this season where, and if you've ever been like really sick, you know what waiting feels like. We're just waiting. We know that he's coming. We know that Christ's child is making all things new. Jesus is authentic enough and big enough to take not only our story, but his story. And his story is to be interrupted by us, humanity, coming in and shouting our story. To consistently, we point to Jesus and the good news. See, church, we shouldn't be in the stands watching. We should we should. We are imperfect. We are this big team of imperfect people that are looking out for other imperfect people. And we are pointing to Jesus all the time. And because we are imperfect people looking for other imperfect people, telling about Jesus all the time, we're not going to be judgy and, 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 and ignorant and mean to each other about our imperfections. You know what we're going to do? We're going to see our imperfections and we're going to cry during the, the, during the bad times and we're going to keep pointing to Jesus. Not because we are in denial of the bad things that are happening, but because we are in so much hope 
filled faith about what he is doing and who he is. And we should, we the church, we should be, we are this imperfect people telling this imperfect story. And occasionally we need to just tell a good cat joke just to make everybody laugh. See, church, the people of God, we should have this holy tension that we constantly hold. On one hand, there's this excitement that's driven by the calling and purpose of God in this world and on our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've, you've tapped into that excitement before. You've tapped into that calling before. But it holds with this tension that life is filled with these interruptions. Life is filled with these moments where it's like everything's not perfect. And we hold these two things at the same time. Because in the middle of the word becoming flesh, in the, in the middle of Jesus being introduced, John, John is introduced and he interrupts to tell of Jesus again. Do you want a church filled with life? Start with yourself. Do you want to see your church filled with the energy and the joy of the good tidings that we read from Luke chapter 2? Start with your story. Start with your testimony. Share it. See, we testify to a lot of things. We tell stories about a lot of things. And you're like, I don't know what you mean, tell my story. Yeah, you do. You know what I mean. You know exactly what I mean. All the time, we tell stories. And to prove it to you, what I did this week was that I, I, I was sick this week. I was at home. And so to fill my time, I just went on Facebook. And I went to all of your pages and I just took screenshots of what everybody said on Facebook. And I've got a lot of them. I want to share them with you now. Here's the stories that you tell. I'm going to show you what we testify to. I'm just kidding. I don't really have that. <laughs> and I didn't spend a lot of time on Facebook. I don't have all that, but the internet does. You have it. You have it, you have it on your phones. What do we testify to? Go, just go look at your profile page. Just look at your text messages. Look at, look at the words you use and the things that you do and the calendar that you keep. What are you testifying to? And this is not said to shame you. It's said to make us aware of like, hey, the light of Jesus, is it fitting in my life? Or have I just allowed it to become dull? If Christ is bringing good tidings and good news of great joy, which is for everyone, how, how do I swim in that current war? And here's the problem. A lot of us are like, okay, yeah, okay, so is Nate saying just to, you know, use my status update and to sound like a preacher all the time and to be weird? I don't know how to do this and be weird and to share the love of Jesus. But you know what? Neither did John the Baptist. If you know anything about him, he wore camel hair, which sounds kind of cool, um, but it's really warm. But he wore camel hair. He ate locusts. He uh, had wild honey. He drew a crowd. He was kind of a loner. He would have been a big hit on Etsy, okay? John was a weird guy. And you know what? It may feel a little awkward when you start sharing the good news of Jesus in your testimony. But here's... Here's what I promise. I promise you that the interruptions 
of sharing the testimony of Jesus will bring you joy. That's what I promise you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to do it. And I'm certainly not going to tell you, take your Facebook and your social media and make it your evangelism platform. Listen, if you're called to that, good for you. That's awesome. I, I, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that the good news of Jesus is real and it brings joy or it isn't real and we're wasting our time. Test it out. I don't know how you're going to do it. But what, what is your story? How is it pointing to the testimony of Jesus? Or is it just all about you? If it's all about you, how's the joy going? How's the life going? The Holy Spirit guides you. Don't forget the first words of our text today. There was a man sent from God. John didn't come on the scene of his own doing. Just as the word came, John was sent by God. Here's what I know. I know that God will send you. I know that God will send you. What do you mean? Do you mean like on the mission field? Oh gosh, I hope so. That'd be awesome. I know that God's going to send you somewhere. I know that God's going to give you opportunity to bring this good news to somebody. And I know that when you bring this good news to somebody, something's going to happen in you because that's what happens with the good news. I know he's going to send you. Here's what I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do that. It may look like an interruption to your perfectly scheduled, planned, everyday life. The thing about good news is that it, it's not really asking for permission. It just kind of interrupts. Sometimes good news can look like bad news. Sometimes good news can look like an inconvenience. I believe that God's Spirit is going to show you where the good news can have a holy presence. And I know that whenever you share that good news, joy is a result. Here's just a very simple opportunity, and it may seem pretty elementary, but some of us, like I said, are still 12 years old. And those of us that aren't 12 years old, emotionally, <laughs> whatever, this is still a good practice. We have these invite cards. You'll get them on the way out. Invite somebody to hear the good news of Jesus. On Christmas Eve, I'm preaching a very simple sermon, able to be understood. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of your friends. If you bring somebody that is unchurched, dechurched, sick of church, if you bring somebody who is gay or, or has not been to church in a while or does not want anything to do with church, if you bring an addict, if you bring somebody like a family member who maybe you don't, you, you, you like, I'm not sure, and they actually come with you. I promise I will, I, will, I will do my best not to embarrass you. I will share stupid pictures, okay, that will happen. But I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus. We want to give you the opportunity. Share the good news.
Let it interrupt your life. Take, take these home with you and don't keep them. These are not for you to keep. These invite cards are for you to hand out and to give out. You don't have to pray about it unless, unless you're not like following Jesus <laughs> or a part of his church already. If that's you, I, I pray that, man, you'll make a decision to follow Jesus today. But you'll know that you, you'll know that you are sharing the good news when that joy starts creeping in. Before we close in prayer, I want to talk about a, an interruption that we have as a church. We have an opportunity to, um, to bring blessing, to bring the good news in different ways. Not just in our church, but in our community. I want to ask uh, Pastor Bo and his family to come up here with me. And I want to ask those who are on our board and those of you who are in the youth group to come up and gather around them. Pastor Bo joined our team about two and a half years ago, something like that. And his family joined us. And he was a pastor at Methodist churches before he came here to be our youth pastor. <clears throat> Shauna, will you join me too? And not long ago, Pastor Bo had a conversation with me. He said, you know what? Uh, we've been interrupted. God's got a calling on our lives. And I knew this was going to happen at some point. I just was kind of hoping it wasn't going to happen so soon. But doggone it, he feels the calling to preach and to lead a church again. So we prayed through those things and God opened up a door for him to be the next pastor at Pine Grove Methodist right up the road from us here. And we're going to pray God's blessings over him and his family, aren't we? Because we're grateful to them, aren't we? We love Bo and Jennifer and Jackson and Bryson, don't we? Raise your hand if you want to uh, stop him from following what God has called him to do. Yeah. How many of us want to just empower him and love the heck out of his family and bless them? Stretch your hands toward them. Everybody lay your hands on them. God, you bring interruptions. And the promise that we have is that these interruptions, these interruptions have your purpose attached to them in the end. And God, this, this, some of, like we're sad because we love Bo and Jennifer and Jackson and Bryson. We're sad because we don't want them to leave. God, our sadness isn't going to turn into sin and demand that they stay. We're going to plant our sadness like seeds into the ground before you turn it into worship and praise. We're going to bless them. We're going to praise you. We're going to trust you. And God, we pray blessings over them as they move into this next season. Knowing that the story you tell is greater than us, greater than our church, greater than Pine Grove down the road. The story that you tell, we're actually all a part of that story. And as a church, we are humbled 
that we get to share people we love implanting the kingdom of God and telling the story again and again. And God, I pray for holy interruptions. I pray for holy interruptions where the gospel truth is on display. We continue to pray your healing and your life into the ministry of this family. And we bless them. In the name of Christ, we pray. Everybody say amen. amen. Pastor Bo will be preaching on the Sunday after Christmas. It'll be his last sermon here with us. Um, I'm going to get a shot collar if you go too long. <laughs> For me.